0: Hi there, it's Paul Tizard from Lovefly and I've been helping Nervous Flyers for nearly 25 years now and today we're talking human factors and we have a special guest who's a human factors expert, David Gott. Welcome to the podcast, David. How are you doing? Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be the human factors specialist that I know you to be.
1: Well, I joined Virgin Atlantic many, many years ago, actually 31 years ago, and uh, worked my way up through the ranks to become a flight service manager on board the aircraft, so responsible for everything that happened on board the aircraft, answering directly to the captains. And then in 2000, I came into crew training, with the speciality of um, subject matter expertise of training, safety and security. And gradually as things progressed along with training, I then got, became more involved with the human factors training, which is actually one of the requirements that cabin crew and pilots must do um, as part of their training when they join an airline.
0: So to people who may not have heard very much about it, in a nutshell, what is human factors about?
1: it's basically about us as human beings Uh, and a lot of times and a lot of things we are possibly the weakest link have you ever put milk um, in a cupboard or or sugar in the fridge or or just done something really really strange and thought (laughs) about it why did I do that that that, that's us as human beings we you know although we're all very similar we all have these sort of little tiny failings that we do and sort of things that we tend to lapse into as human beings so that's basically what human factors is about is about us interacting with uh, the machines and also interacting with with other people on board the aircraft
0: so for a nervous flyer who might be listening to this what reassurance can you give them in terms of the human factors training side of things
1: it deals with a, a various um, number of subjects and these subjects have gradually developed over the years. They contain things like assertiveness, uh, situational awareness, information acquisition, processing, leadership and cultural awareness. And so, and again, with all these things going through the, the training, these are all part and parcel of how we react and how we mesh together as a team on board that aircraft. And again, dealing with the, with the technicalities. Uh, you know that's happening we've also covered such topics such as sleep Uh, again especially if you're flying long haul your body clock goes through various numbers of changes how do you deal with your sleep patterns when you come back off a long haul chip we're all you know we're all different so it's about finding your patterns and also about dealing with modern technology if you think about where we are now with things like smartphones and tablets and computers and things like that you know it's a lot more technical savvy and things like that they're just so much more reliable but every now and then you know you either have the sort of potential blue screen problem or or something happened with your phone it's like ah what do i do and then you sort of realize you know sort of things technically have gone wrong and now you as a human being can't really function properly
0: so it's like for you is it your phone fails and that's it you you give
1: up (laughs) yeah well my 16 year old uh, teenage daughter yes
0: yes yeah i understand that so when you're taking people through this training, is it different for pilots and crew and is it different for different
1: airlines? The, the human factors training for airlines is all exactly the same because it's, it's governed by regulations. Very often, as with all the things like the safety training and the security training, we have various bodies coming in and making sure that we're covering all the legal requirements and one of the things with human factors, there's certain topics that need to be covered every sort of couple of years. It's on a sort of like a rotational basis. And the challenge is always trying to do that in a um, in a very, very different way. Pilots. Um, and again, their office, so to speak, is very, very different to the cabin crew office with the pilots, the human factors. They're dealing very much with uh, technology as an interface there, but potentially they're talking to air traffic control and other pilots as well. So you know, there's the human element there as well. One of the interesting things with human factors is, is the, things, um, the thing called ergonomics, which is how things are and how you deal with them and how you handle them. Where how they are sat on the aircraft, are you sat comfortably in your seat flying the aircraft? Even to the extent that the lever, that they lower the undercarriage and move the undercarriage up, on the very end of it has a, a little wheel. So it's actually shaped like a wheel, from the wheels that the aircraft lands on as well. So again, you know, you're touching something that feels like a wheel, knowing that you're actually loading the undercarriage. Some of the flap levers are actually look like and feel like flaps on board an aircraft. So that's how much detail human factors goes into with things like with the with the flight crew.
0: So what why is that why is that then?
1: Again, because us as human beings, sometimes a lot of times we will just end up going into for want of a better phrase, automatic pilot. So, for example, for, for cabin crew um, and also pilots as well, when you have some kind of situation happen or an emergency, you are trained to react in a certain way. And that's the interesting thing about sort of things like human factors and any kind of training. You're actually trying to change somebody's behavior so that when something happens, they do something different. So, for example, if a passenger had to open an aircraft door, they would look at the door, pause for a couple of seconds look at the instructions, think about how to open up the door and then open up the door. Whereas our training as cabin crew, our behavior is to check outside conditions and open up the door as quickly as possible. So it sort of cuts out that time delay. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do by just learning things by drills, but also being aware of the automatics and the things like that that are on board the aircraft. And also we have the, um, I, I call it the luxury of actually sort of dealing with people on board the aircraft and talking to people. So that's another aspect as well, you know, recognizing those passengers who might be nervous passengers on board the aircraft so we can then talk to them, but also those passengers that potentially are maybe going to cause us problems on board the aircraft by having too much to drink and then having to deal with, deal with those kind of passengers on board the aircraft.
0: So it's, it's quite a lot of things it covers actually, isn't it? It's a lot more than perhaps people would realize and you're saying now it's the same, whether it's a, a cheap ticket or an expensive ticket.
1: It, it doesn't matter. And again, the, the training at the, that we have at Virgin is exactly the same as an EasyJet, as a Ryanair. And a lot of people do equate, you know, sort of low cost to low training, low standards. That's not the case in aviation. It can't be the case in aviation at all. The only thing that potentially is going to be different is the types of passengers that you're going to be dealing with. It might be very different for a short haul operation to a long haul operation like Virgin. And it might be very different to the kind of aircraft types that, you know, that you're operating. You know, you've got the bigger aircraft that have maybe 400 passengers on board. to The smaller aircraft, which maybe only have one cabin crew member on board and about six to 12 passengers on board the aircraft. But the training is all exactly the same from the safety from the security to the human factors as well about how we deal with people and interact with the machine. How
0: long has this sort of human factors training been around? Is it a new thing, is it?
1: It's, it's, it's not a new thing, but it's actually quite amazing how it's actually developed. Initially, it was sort of developed by NASA, surprisingly, and, uh, and, and then eventually one of the American airlines actually took it up. What actually happened, as technology improved and got better and better and better, the aircraft systems were a lot more efficient and well-designed unfortunately the weak link um in the machine so to speak was the human being so what you actually had you had an improvement in safety but then you had a situation where things were happening to aircraft which were perfectly serviceable which should not necessarily happen to an aircraft that could continue flying and, and same there for whatever reason so david how
0: long ago did all the human factors stuff start
1: well, it was first sort of taken on board by, um, by United Airlines, who sort of used it in their, with their flight crew training. And in those days, it was initially termed cockpit resource management or CRM. And that's gradually how it became known. And then gradually they realized that spread across to other airlines. And then eventually there was an incident with a British Midland aircraft where then the cabin crew became involved. And this is something that we go into as regards our training, talking about it, because there were a lot of things, and again, that happened on the aircraft that potentially could have avoided a problem. The main issue with that particular incident was the flight crew switched off the wrong engine. Lots of other human factors involved from the flight crew side. But one of the contributory factors from the cabin crew and the passenger side was that the cabin crew heard the flight crew, um, Captain Maker PA, saying, which engine they had shut down but they knew it was the wrong engine they had shut down because they'd seen something happen to the engine on the other side but this wasn't communicated to the to the flight crew because at that point at that um and again there was lots of things happening um basically there was a communication issue with the you know, between the flight crew and the, and the cabin crew. And again, human factors, you know, we, we tend, sometimes tend not to get on with everybody, but you try and work well together. And at that point, that's when the cabin crew became involved, involved in uh, cockpit resource management. And then it became crew resource management. And then gradually it started getting more and more legislated and evolving. And eventually we, re- we reached a stage where we were actually having combined flight and cabin crew human factor sessions with up to 40 uh, 40 crew and a mix of pilots and cabin crew, which is only a good thing. And it's even developed as well to the extent of where we now talk about the passengers because the passengers potentially are a human factor um, in incidents and things that happen on board the aircraft as well.
0: Something that occurred to me was as you were talking, I was reminded of a phrase that you have used when I've heard you talking to nervous flyers, and I wonder if you could elaborate on it. Is the the phrase is tombstone technology?
1: Tombstone technology, yes. It's a phrase where we uh, we often use this in the aviation industry. We learn from incidents that have happened in the past, and what has happened in the past truly stays in the past in aviation because something that has happened at that particular point, the amount of research that goes into it, the amount of investigation that goes into it as well you will obviously have these initial reports and sometimes that is quite frustrating because i've noticed that when you do have something especially in aviation when something happens you will always have always have some kind of expert that will come on and that will talk about it
0: is that sort of expert inverted commas
1: well i've always noticed the word before it's former so-and-so pilot former air traffic controller former cabin crew member because those of us in the aviation industry we know that you don't comment on anything that has happened straight away because you don't know all the facts and this is always the problem you know with the with the press sometimes you just get all the story out there because it sells newspapers and it sells time on television oh. we all know that we need to wait for <clears throat> and what will happen quite quickly there will be a preliminary investigation and if something needs to happen quickly then that will be done and then the investigation will carry on and continue. And then what will happen is there will be a whole list of recommendations that will come out from the various authorities, some of which are very quick to implement, which may just be a, a change to crew training or an updating of crew knowledge. And I mean pilot and cabin crew knowledge. And some's may, some may involve technical changes. And again, one of the examples I can probably use is the escape path lighting. You know, that's all common knowledge these days. You will see the cabin crew point that out on their safety demonstration. That was brought into aviation because of an incident that happened where people were struggling to get out of an aircraft when it was a smoky environment. So the lighting will guide passengers to the exit. So everything in aviation is thought about. And and again, this all links into human factors, how we would react. It also links into the terminology that we use on board the aircraft Even down to the safety demonstration, we will use certain phrases and terminology. And generally, in our commands, when we need you to leave the aircraft quickly, will always be positive commands and not negative commands.
0: A process of continual learning.
1: It is both for the cabin crew and the pilots. I I don't know very many occupations where potentially every six months to a year, or even every time you go to work, you're actually tested on your knowledge and that knowledge must be up to scratch otherwise there is potential for you to be removed from that particular flight and not operate in that flight and bearing in mind it could be a five night barbados <laughs> you don't want to be missing out on the uh, one of the benefits of of being either cabin or flight crew so it's a fantastic job but those people that are cabin crew and flight crew they've earned the right to be there for you know from their training
0: you're right there are probably not many jobs where you think every six months you get tested on your ability to do it and you take driving for example we don't get our license and that's it isn't it until we're about 70 ish and then you have to say something to somebody it's a yeah it's a scary thought so this human factors stuff sounds great okay and i'm interested if that's extending into other industries now and and perhaps that's because i know you're leaving virgin is that something you're looking to do
1: it, it is potentially um, i mean at the moment i 'm volunteering for a thing called Project Wingman, mm. uh, which is grounded air crew who are going into the NHS hospitals um, and setting up like a, a first class lounge for the NHS staff because they 've been working all through this COVID situation, and they haven 't stopped As I say I will be leaving virgin uh, shortly, but you know i 've had about six months where i haven 't sort of been doing anything at all, and we we do know that human factors is covered in the nhs and there are potential opportunities and they're going to be quite lucky for opportunity to do some training for the nhs in relation to human factors again a subject i'm you know along with a lot of my colleagues are quite passionate about so you know fingers crossed and we'll see what happens
0: so the plan is to take your human factors expertise into other areas if you get the opportunity to do that
1: Yes, because there's a lot of things that are very easily transferable, and again, if you think about the uh, you know the similarities in the NHS, there are you're dealing with people, you're dealing with processes, and also you have a framework that you have to deal with as well. You have a hierarchy that you need to deal with. You have cultural differences, and these are all elements that are contained and embedded in human factors so you know it's a skill that's very very easily transferable and and something that I would actually like to keep up. Mm.
0: In your opinion with so much mechanical backup systems and processes in place in commercial aviation and the pilots and the crew all going through this human factors training will it ever be a hundred percent safe to fly?
1: I can't say anything is going, is going to be 100%. Do you
0: like that question? Um,
1: there's, yeah. I mean, at the moment, they there are pilotless aircraft that are flying around. I think it's going to be potentially a very brave passenger that will get on a flight where there is nobody actually at the front. And there is somebody in an office somewhere, airline corporate office, who's actually flying the aircraft from the actual ground there's another thing where they're saying that potentially you know they've they, over the years they have gradually reduced the number of flight crew that have been on the um, on the flight deck of aircraft because originally you had like a radio operator, you would have an engineer that would be on board the aircraft, obviously you'd have a, a second officer, you'd have a third officer, you'd have a first officer, you'd have a captain, and that's gradually got less and less to the stage where we are now down to a minimum on most commercial aircraft of two pilots. And again, if somebody something happens to one of the pilots, then the other pilot can take over. There's lots that have been replaced by automation because sometimes the basic tasks can be very easy to do and tucked away in a computer system somewhere. There are some commercial aircraft, very small aircraft, that do fly with one pilot. And they do, they do say potentially that they, the next stage will be a pilot and a dog. And the dog will be there on the flight deck to bite the pilot's hand if he touches anything. <laughs> but uh, i think for the moment i don't think commercial aircraft will go that way in military aviation a lot of the seats actually face backwards and again that's you know from a safety point of view that's a really good idea that's why generally a lot of times you'll see the crew seats on board the aircraft you know facing uh you know facing backwards so you're actually facing towards the back of the aircraft
0: why don't we do um, that with passengers then and
1: and again it is it's the, it's the passenger perception. The moment we, we, we're in cars, we like to travel facing forward. We would like to do that on the aircraft to see where we're going. So it becomes that very, very fine balance from a commercial point of view. And it's, it's a bit like serving alcohol on board the aircraft and dealing with people. You know, you, you know you've got some airlines that will you charge for it so you can limit the consumption. Some airlines, you know, passengers, and, passengers can just buy as much as they want or drink as much as they want. So it's going to be a very brave airline that actually turns around and says, you know what, we're not going to serve any alcohol on board the aircraft. But I mean, have we, have we seen things happen and, and develop? You know, sometimes things do change and then everybody else follows trend. It's one of those. Watch those spaces and see.
0: Mm. Yes, I certainly like the surety of knowing there's a backup pilot or well, there's two pilots that are equally well trained, but obviously different levels of seniority, but that gives me some sort of confidence. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same, who are scared of flying.
1: That's also that's also another thing as as regards to human factors as well as the the hierarchy, and the, and again the rank structure. You all have you all always have a captain. You'll always have a first officer. You'll always have a cabin crew member who will be in charge. In some cases, you might have an extra cabin crew member. Although there's still the hierarchy and the command structure everybody very much works together and that's part and parcel of human factors there is no reason why say for example a flight service manager the cabin crew member that's in charge can go into the flight they can speak to the captain and say you know what i think maybe we should do this or this should happen and again vice versa as well because it's very much about a conversation that you have so that everybody is sort of working together on board that aircraft and the same you know for the first officer The first officer can challenge the captain as well. And it won't be a case of, I'm the captain, I'm in charge, you shut up. It's a case of, okay, let's have a chat about this and work out each other's thought processes. And it may be a case of, actually, you know what, I'm going to take the decision. Yes, that's actually a good idea. We'll go ahead and do that. So it's very much about working together.
0: So a lot of those barriers have been broken down. I know that I talked to lots of different airlines and some still have like a, a seating order on the bus so you land at your destination and then you have the pilot sat at the front and then people sit in rank order on the bus to go to the hotel does that still go on
1: i i think it does to some it does and i and i've seen this happen when i've flown as well but it's 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 interesting and again this goes into human factors and the psychology you know one it sort of shows that you recognize the rank structure but also that you almost do things without actually thinking about it and knowing about it. And I mean, and I've seen cases, I mean, I last flew mostly flew as either a a trainer, safety trainer or as, as an FSM. And I generally didn't go towards the back of the bus at all. I generally sat almost like mid or towards the flight crew, but every now and then you'd get a flight crew member who would go and sit at the back of the bus. And it was like, Ooh, (laughs) <laughs> what, what's you know what what's going on here uh, as well, so it's stuck in the system yeah, yeah, and it, and again this is this is the thing where we they say they say that you could actually bring a child from about five thousand years ago or prehistoric and bc put them in the situation today and have them grow up, and they will still be exactly the same because we as a as a sort of race as human beings, we take ages to change, ages to change. And it's interesting having gone through my learning as a trainer, the things that I have learned, the things I've picked up, and the things that I do now, I do, I, you know, do some very, very different things. I'd be quite reticent you know, as regards feedback because we all take feedback as criticism. That's something, again, from a human factors point of view, we all need to be able to take on board without thinking, stop criticizing me, leave me alone. And sort of working ourselves and why we do certain things you know why we would have biases to certain things that happen on board the aircraft and when you sort of look into this it, it goes to your culture and your upbringing I was I was brought up in Yorkshire and then we moved sort of down south to Somerset and then we moved moved to London so you know had various different kinds of things that I've sort of been able to relate to and also through my working career with the various people that you interact with and it's it's very easy to fall back into into what you're used to as opposed to like a light switch on a wall which is it's just on or off you know with us as human beings it's like did i get out of the wrong side of the bed this morning or or had an argument with somebody this morning or you know i'm not feeling 100 percent. and part of that is working together to make sure that everybody wants the same aim you know getting a flight safely from a to b
0: one last thing then is that was <laughs> i think that's probably very helpful for people with stuff that you've been through And I learned a couple of things there as well. So that's good. I've always been a big fan of you and listening to you speak for a long time. So it's, it's great to do this. What about if you could say one thing in terms of the human factors or just something for anyone who's a nervous flyer that's listening to this to reassure them? What would be your kind of closing message?
1: At the end of the day, human factors, pilots and cabin crew, we're human we're we're exactly the same as everybody that is on board the aircraft you know we all have different sort of upbringings different jobs decided to do very very different things but the important thing to remember is as we want to either get to our destination if it's a barbados or a los angeles that's part and parcel of being long haul flight crew but we also like to come home as well so it's our responsibility to make sure that we are fit for work and in the right state of mind from a human factors point of view, because like everybody on board that aircraft, we want to get safely to the destination. You know, we will take everybody safely with us on that flight.
0: David Gott, excellent. Thank you very much. That was absolutely superb and brilliant. Thank you again.